This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up, and we've got a whole bunch of topics to discuss today, and all of these things will be indexed down below in the video description so you can jump right to the things that interest you. And without further ado, let's get to it. Now, before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters here on the channel. We had Brian Halton, who contributed via the donor box page. Jacob Unruh became a new Patreon supporter. And we have two new YouTube members, Santiago Azarin and J.D. Bond. I want to thank everyone who contributed this week, along with everyone who's been contributing on an ongoing basis, and all of you who watch on a regular basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. So let's take a look now at the Week in Review. On the Extras channel, we had an unboxing of the Pixel Book Go. This is Google's new kind of mid-range Chromebook that I liked quite a bit, although a lot of you were remarking on the price, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, We also had a bunch of other things on the main channel. Uh, I had the worst performing video of the year here at the top, the tiny and micro arcades that I got in through the Amazon Vine program. I think we're under 2,000 views on this one, which is very unusual for this channel, but I think a lot of folks kind of knew what this would be about, so uh, it is what it is. I was going to put it on the extras channel, but when I looked at the length, it was decent enough that I could maybe slot it in Sunday morning and see how it did. It did not do well. I've learned my lesson on that one. Uh, we had the Pixel Book review, of course. I did a live stream. I've been doing these a lot more lately because I get a bunch of little things in through the Amazon Vine program. Some of these things end up on the Extras channel. And I've been doing some live streaming for Amazon, so I figured I would start doing a little bit more live stuff when I've got some time. Usually Thursday and Fridays are when I do this. Uh, So if you hit that notification bell, you'll get notified when I'm playing around live. And you can see all of the technical challenges that come into making a review on this channel. Nothing ever works right. uh, And it's kind of fun sometimes to watch me uh, sweat it out a bit, try to get everything working. So you can check out uh, that video linked in the master playlist. We took a look at the Epson ST4000 Super Tank. Uh, What Epson does with their high-capacity ink printers is they sell you a printer at a higher price than a cartridge printer but they give you enough ink to last you for a year or two. And we look at how that printer works in that review. And then, of course, we had my review of the new Pixel 4 phone. I kind of stepped through everything. I had some really cool astrophotography results with it. And this one didn't do very well uh, comparatively just because there are so many Pixel 4 reviews on YouTube. It's crazy. I think Google probably sent out 10,000 phones to uh, various influencers of all different sizes. And when you have that much content, it's really hard to compete. But we'll see how it does over time uh, on this platform and some of the other ones I upload to. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye. And this story is kind of funny. Uh, it looks like Samsung was doing a publicity stunt involving one of those high-altitude space balloons. And they made this stupid thing that looks like a satellite that they sent up on the balloon. Now, the way these balloons work is that when they get to a certain altitude... The balloon pops and then the payload comes back down, usually with a parachute, especially if it's something this large. And it crashed into a farm 
I believe somewhere in Michigan. Yes, in Saginaw County, Michigan. And the media initially reported it as a crashed Samsung satellite. But as you can see here, it looks like it's in pretty good shape, not like it survived uh, atmospheric re-entry. And again, that was because it was launched uh, off of a weather balloon, essentially. Uh, So there you can see a picture of it going up. And I guess their plan was with this was to have people submit selfies that they would transmit up to the phone or have preloaded on the phone uh, to deliver this image from this uh, satellite thing that they sent up into uh, a very high altitude. And that was the plan. Uh, But now the story is all about the fact that it crashed into this farm and the uh, farmers were quite surprised uh, when this thing landed. Now, I was curious about these things because uh, you hear a lot of uproar over people flying drones all over the place without any uh, need to get certified or anything like that. You do now have to register your drone with the FAA and take a short little uh, course to let them know that you know what you're doing. Uh, if you do commercial work, of course, it's a little bit more involved. But interestingly, uh, weather balloons follow a very similar uh, lack of regulatory oversight here in the U.S. And I found a post here from Lunar Technologies, which I believe was selling equipment uh, to do your own balloons. And they say almost all amateur balloon payloads, including those sold by Lunar, are designed to be exempt from FAA regulations. So you're not required to do anything uh, listed below for heavier payloads in order to launch Uh, But they did have a few things to keep in mind in order to avoid falling into that regulatory framework. Uh, Your payload has to be less than four pounds uh, or your payload is less than six pounds and the smallest surface is more than 36 square inches uh, to kind of distribute the weight, it looks like. You can have two payloads, but they have to weigh less than 12 pounds together. And if you have a rope, it takes less than 50 pounds of force to break it off. Uh, Just don't use uh, carbon fiber, they say. Regular rope should be fine. And a friend of mine does launch these quite a bit, and he does tell me that when the balloon pops, they come down. You can kind of get a feel as to where it might end up, but the wind tends to blow things around. Uh, He puts on a little transmitter on his balloon so that he can go down and find it. Uh, Oftentimes, it beams back to the cellular network, uh, its GPS location. You have to be sure not to turn on the phone until it gets down to the ground, apparently, but once it's there... Uh, It can start pinging its location, and it's not unusual uh, for your balloon, of course, to land on somebody's property, and then you have to call them up and ask permission to come and retrieve it. Uh, So what happened here with the Samsung balloon is not all that unique. I just thought it was kind of funny to see this imagery of a (laughs) a crashed, what looks like a crashed satellite, but nothing there was functional. In fact, I don't think these solar panels were working either. Uh, So if you happen to see anyone in the media reporting this as a crashed satellite, Uh, make sure that they appropriately call it space gear or weather balloon or device because it's certainly not a satellite. It never reached orbit. Now, this was a story that popped up last week and Travis Rhodes posted it on the Facebook group. It looks as though NordVPN has been hacked or at least was hacked a while ago. Uh, You can read more on TechCrunch at the link you see on screen here. But apparently all of this happened back in March of 2018 and Nord didn't tell anybody about it. And it's a rather interesting hack that occurred, and we're going to get into it here in a second. Uh, Before we do, though, if you're not familiar with how a virtual private network works, uh, basically what you're doing is you're connecting to the Nord server through your ISP, but all of your internet traffic, once you're connected to Nord or any other VPN service, is being routed through that VPN. So if I go over to YouTube... Uh, my request is going to go out encrypted to the NordVPN server, and then all of that YouTube data comes back to me 
through that very same Nord connection. Uh, so this adds privacy. It also adds security because that connection to the VPN is encrypted. So if you're at Starbucks or on some public Wi-Fi network, if somebody's out there sniffing the air to see what kind of data is flowing back and forth, all they're going to see is a bunch of gibberish being sent over to NordVPN and back, and there's no way that anybody can read it. Uh, Nord says that they don't keep logs of what you're doing. Uh, so, for example, Comcast, my ISP, logs everything that I do. So if the government ever came looking for me, Comcast would turn it all over. Uh, Nord says they don't do that, uh, which is one of the main reasons why sometimes people like to choose one of these VPN providers so they can download or look at whatever they want without the fear of having all of that stuff come up later in a government subpoena or something like that. Now, the problem, though, when you are running a VPN service is that this becomes a very lucrative target for hackers. It also becomes a lucrative target for governments looking to find dissidents and other people who might be opposing uh, authoritarian rule across the world. And the reason is, is that you've got a whole bunch of people uh, coalescing around a single spot on the Internet uh, who are eager to hide what they're doing. And that, of course, will be an attractive target. So what happened is that uh, some hackers were testing some of the uh, perimeters of the NordVPN network. And like most VPNs, Nord has servers located throughout the world. Uh, one of those servers, according to the TechCrunch story here, uh, was located in Finland. Now, it should be noted that Nord did not own nor control the data center that this server was operating in. According to the TechCrunch article here, uh, Nord said that they were renting servers at that location, and somebody got into a management console at that data center and stole the Nord private keys to the servers that they were operating there. And those private keys allow someone to set up their own server and essentially impersonate a NordVPN server so that they could be in the middle of a connection between somebody and NordVPN and then extract the data that's flowing through that. So although Nord says they don't keep any logs, they don't track any data, if you are in control of a server on Nord's network, you can log that data and capture what people are doing on the internet and essentially sniff every packet because you're able to decrypt the data and re-encrypt it with that private key. And that's the concern here. So average Joe citizen who's just uh, browsing some pictures online or something probably has nothing to worry about here. But if you're someone who is using this to hide your actions from a hostile government, uh, they might be very motivated to set up one of these man-in-the-middle attacks and focus on the connections that you're making to those servers and basically sit in the middle and grab all that traffic as it flows through. Very concerning. Even more concerning is the fact that this happened back in March of 2018 and we're only finding out about it now. According to the TechCrunch article, NordVPN said they found out about the breach, quote, a few months ago and they didn't tell anybody because they wanted to make sure that their infrastructure was totally secure before they said anything. Uh, of course, meanwhile, they're still advertising and selling subscriptions uh, based on the security that they said they had here, but apparently they didn't have confidence in it either. The only reason why we found out about this is because uh, somebody went up on Twitter here. I believe this guy was the one who first released the information. Uh, his name on Twitter is Hexdefined. And he had said that these keys have been floating around mostly unnoticed for a while now. He had stumbled across them and was able to set up his own little node uh, within his local network. Now, the keys have expired, so Nord will not recognize them any longer. 
but who knows how long these keys were being accepted before they knew about it, and that's the concern here. So this is a big issue, especially one of confidence, because we use these services to be safe and secure, but in this case, Nord uh, clearly had an issue, and they didn't let their users know, and their users are using the service because they believe it's secure, and that's a big problem for me and a lot of other folks, including people who... Uh, were running ads for Nord on their channels and social media networks. So my pick of the week this week is one of those channels who I think did the right thing here. Uh, Jay's Two Cents. I do watch Jay's channel from time to time. He's got some great uh, PC hardware stuff up there. And NordVPN was a sponsor on his channel. Uh, He has since canceled his sponsorship contract with them. Uh, because he doesn't have confidence in recommending them as a secure VPN provider based on how they handled this. I'm not sure how other YouTube channels have dealt with it. You might be able to let me know down in the comment section below, but it was very nice to hear uh, Jay's perspective on this and uh, hear the concern that he has for the people who trust him. Uh, And it's important, I think, that if a company that you're having as a sponsor violates trust, it's good to Uh, make the right choice here. And I think that's what he did. You can see his video linked down below uh, in the master playlist or here on screen. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And it looks like we're going to have a Travis Rhodes show today because Travis also has our first question of the day in regards to the NVIDIA Shield Pro. This came in from our Facebook group. Uh, Travis sums up the differences of the new Shield Pro quite nicely. Uh, The CPU is now 25% faster Uh, It supports Dolby Vision now, which the current Shield does not support. Uh, And it also supports Dolby Atmos, although prior editions of the Shield also supported Atmos. So really the big change here on the Shield Pro uh, is that you are getting the Dolby Vision support uh, and you are getting a faster processor. And as Travis notes here, he's not really going to be doing anything that will take advantage of that faster processing speed. He also says that his QLED set Uh, supports HDR10+, but not Dolby Vision, so there's just not much for Travis here. And I would agree with him on this. There isn't much here, partly because no one's really taking advantage of the power that's there on the developer side for a lot of these Android games that would really make the Shield into something a lot more than what it is. And we see the power of that processor all the time on the Nintendo Switch because the Nintendo Switch is basically an NVIDIA Shield that you can take with you. It's the same exact uh, system on a chip. Now, the new Shield Pro looks just like the old Shield Pro. It's the same packaging. The remote control is different now, so that's going to be a new experience, but more or less it is the same device you have already, just with a little bit faster performance and, of course, the uh, Dolby Vision addition to its HDMI output. Uh, But what's missing from the Shield Pro that was in the prior one was the storage capacity. So the old Shield Pro had a 500 gigabyte spinning hard drive inside of it. This one only has 16 gigabytes of storage. And if you want more, you've got to plug in the USB hard drive and do the whole adoptable storage thing that uh, can sometimes get a bit confusing. So to some degree, it's an upgrade in the sense that it's faster, but it's a downgrade in that you get less built-in storage and there's no game controller being bundled with it any longer. Uh, They also now have something they just called the regular shield, which is a new product. It is a cylinder. Uh, We've got one coming. Hopefully, Jake, who's helping me out here on the channel, is at Best Buy as we speak, picking it up. We're going to have a review of it as soon as we get it here and have some time to play with it. Uh, That one is also, I believe, going to have the faster uh, K1 or X1 processor inside, 
uh, but it only has eight gigabytes of storage and of course is a lot smaller. Uh, once we get it in, we'll put it through its paces. The little one is going to be 150 bucks, which costs less than the current low cost shield. And the Pro is going to be $200, again with more storage and more USB ports, presumably to add more things to it if you want. I will again have a full look at both of these as they get here. I am ordering one of the pros as well, so hopefully by the end of this week we'll see what both of them are like. Uh, now this has been probably the worst kept secret in uh, NVIDIA's history because this thing has been leaking out all over the place. It started about two weeks ago uh, with an Amazon listing that had the entire product announced essentially through two listings that got released a little bit too early. They got pulled down, but of course we all read about the specifications and saw what the devices looked like. Last week, Best Buy just started selling them at a few retail locations uh, before release. And I have yet to hear from anyone at NVIDIA. I always get press releases from them when they have new NVIDIA Shield announcements. Every time there's a minor software update, there's a big press effort to let us all know what's going on. I've heard nothing. Everything I've been hearing has been coming through all these leaks that have been going on. And now people are getting the products a week early, and we still have yet to hear anything from NVIDIA. i got to check my email here. Maybe something's waiting for me. But as of now... Uh, I am likely going to have this device in hand purchased from a retailer uh, before I get any information from uh, the folks at NVIDIA. So this was really not handled very well, and it makes you wonder if they're just not really focused on this, that it's just something they're just going to push out there. They know they'll get some sales on, uh, but they're really not focusing themselves as a company on this and maybe spending a bulk of their time with this platform with Nintendo on the Switch, which of course is much more profitable for both companies. Nonetheless, though, I am very happy that they are committed to the Shield. I think it is the best TV box on the market, especially for enthusiasts. And now that it's got the Dolby Vision and faster performance, I think it will uh, appease uh, some of us enthusiasts who wanted a little bit more out of those boxes. I'm very eager to see how well it does now with the Dolphin emulator with that boost in performance. We'll put it all to the test as soon as we get these things here, and we'll have an unboxing on the Extras channel as soon as I get one in. Now, this next question comes in from NeuroBioBoy in regards to my review of the Pixelbook Go. Uh, He correctly notes that we did not talk about the built-in end of life on Chromebooks. And it used to be five years from the time that the hardware platform was released to when Google would stop supporting it. Uh, Now they have pushed it to six and a half years, and that includes the new Pixelbook Go. And it's something that we didn't talk about. I probably should have talked about it because, yes, after six and a half years of ownership, uh, this laptop, even if it's fully functional, will no longer get security and system updates. It will probably continue to work, Uh, but you will not get any updates on it after that period of time. And even Apple, who sells very expensive hardware, uh, is keeping most of its seven- or eight-year-old machines up to date. My uh, 2012 MacBook uh, Pro over there just got uh, the new Catalina update, and it's running just fine on it. Uh, That age, of course, would not get an update on the Google Chrome side of the equation for a premium laptop. And, of course, Windows tends to support things forever as long as they can continue running Windows. So I wanted to dive into this a little bit. And one thing that concerned me was that as I was going through the marketing uh, for the Pixelbook Go, uh, they didn't mention anything about the fact that support ends six and a half years from basically now. Because if you bought the laptop 
two years from now, it would only have four and a half years because it's not based on when you bought it. It's based on when the hardware platform was released, and they don't mention it at all. They do mention that it's always up to date. Uh, There's a little footnote here that reminds you that you have to be online to get the updates, but it doesn't mention that those uh, supported updates will end at a certain time. So that was something that I think Google should be more upfront about. Now, they do have a very detailed page about the end-of-life policy that you can see linked on screen here. Again, we're looking at six and a half years of auto-update support. Uh, After that period of time expires, uh, they don't get those updates anymore. I took a look at the Google products that they have listed in this auto-update policy. Uh, You can see the original Chromebook, the CR48, uh, it stopped getting updates in December of 2015. Uh, Of note is the first real premium Chromebook, the Pixel, that they released uh, back, who knows when, five or six years ago. Uh, Support for that ended last June, and in fact, it did come to an end. There was an article on uh, Droid Life here with a screenshot of a user on that Pixel device who said the device is still working just fine, but they can no longer receive updates for it. And this is something that I think Google needs to revisit Um, If you look at things like Neverware, there are solutions out there and companies essentially running on the fact that uh, there is a demand for a never-ending Chrome OS uh, updated operating system. What what Neverware here does is they allow you to turn some of your old Windows PCs into Chromebooks and you pay them a licensing fee and they keep them going. Uh, There is a free version of it as well. Unfortunately, though, Neverware is not supporting old Google Pixel books because it's too hard to get their operating system installed on it. And you would think it would be easier given the fact that it is running Chrome OS essentially and Neverware is using the open source Chromium OS, which is essentially the same thing. But they lock them down so securely that you can't get your own stuff on there. And I guess to some degree that does make the laptop more secure even after its updates end. Uh, But nonetheless, it's not good for consumers to have what is essentially a perfectly fine working Chromebook that is no longer getting any updates or support from the company that makes it six and a half years after it's been uh, manufactured. And I think what Google should do is just open it up or at least give consumers the option to say, you know what, Uh, we understand the risk here in removing the Chrome OS operating system, but we know the risk. Uh, We'd like the ability to do that. It'd be nice if Google offered some way just to wipe it clean, allow you to install Windows on it or put Neverware on it or something to make it easier for people to continue getting use out of a perfectly functional laptop. And it really doesn't help with the e-waste problem either to have people tossing out uh, perfectly good laptops, which become essentially valueless because you can't even sell them to anybody because they are no longer supported. So my ask of Google, and I know they're watching, uh, is to come up with some strategy that if you do want to end support for these things, give consumers an easy option for choosing another operating system later, whether Neverware, Windows, or Linux. Give us some options that are easy to install, that don't require a degree in, consum- in computer uh, science to get everything working, and I think that might alleviate some of these concerns because there are consumers like NeuroBioBoy here who are worried about this and are not buying Chromebooks because they don't want to have that fixed end-of-life date. Now, we are seeing some movement there based on companies who are recognizing this as being an issue. So Lenovo, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is now extending the lifespan of some of its Chromebooks, but it's on them. So they have funded this uh, to keep those Chromebooks operating. 
And these are things that are used in a lot of schools, so I'm sure they were hearing some pushback from institutions that were buying these at volume. Uh, so Lenovo, at least, is extending life on these for another two or three years or so, uh, which I think is a good step in the right direction. And it would be great with Google being the flagship company of this operating system to do the same. Now, one common theme I found to all of the questions and comments I got on the Pixelbook Go was how much it cost. And there were certainly a lot of people who thought that uh, this laptop was not priced correctly and they were expecting something a little bit more affordable. And I don't think that's what Google has been going after. And the reason is, is that there are a ton of affordable Chromebooks but there are not all that many that kind of sit at the mid to high end of the market, uh, which is why we've got this one starting at a $649 price tag, but kind of landing in the $800 territory. Uh, why we have the Pixel Book, the nice two-in-one that they put together that sits at a higher price with a more powerful processor. And they also attempted to do something with that uh, Pixel Book Slate last year that was a pretty big disappointment and I think Google has kind of given up on. Uh, so this was a much more uh, conservative approach to trying to flesh out the Chromebook line. And it's a good laptop. It feels really nice and it feels a lot better than some of the cheaper Chromebooks that are out there. And I think what Google is doing here is exactly what Microsoft uh, did and still does with the Surface. This is not a blockbuster in the sense that it's selling the volume that uh, Lenovo and Dell computers sell at, but it was Microsoft's vision as to what the ideal Windows 10 PC would look like. And as a result, I think a lot of manufacturers upped their games so that they could match or come close to what Microsoft was suggesting uh, both in quality and design. And we saw a lot of Pixel clones come out from some of the other manufacturers. We're seeing more metal being used in the Windows-based devices. And I think this was Microsoft's attempt uh, to lure people back from Apple because they were seeing the nice metal designs of these MacBooks and you know, they just felt nicer. And I think they were trying to nudge the industry in a new direction. And I think Google's been trying to do that over the years uh, with the Pixelbook line, which is to market this as something that goes beyond a cheap netbook replacement and beyond something that uh, your kid is using in elementary school to something that might be a very serious laptop and is designed to feel like a serious laptop, which this really accomplishes. This is definitely not for everyone. I don't think Google intends to have this become a blockbuster seller, but for people that are really into the uh, Chrome ecosystem, this is a great choice because it's a nice high quality machine uh, that's on par with high quality machines from other manufacturers running other operating systems. And I'm sure ultimately Google would like to nudge the manufacturers of Chrome devices into this territory, which is what they're doing with this one and the models above it. I, of course, would love to continue this discussion, and that is what our Q&A for you will be this week. Uh, why don't you let me know down in the comments below what your favorite Chromebooks are. If we haven't reviewed one yet and it's relatively new, maybe we'll pick one up and compare it to this one and see what you can get for maybe $200 less. I'd love to get some suggestions from you, so let me know down there in the comment section. So this week on the channel, we've got a bunch of stuff planned. I am very much hoping to get both NVIDIA Shield TVs in this week. I do believe we'll have the cylinder in. I'll let you know in the comment thread if we fall short of that mission right now. But uh, Jake is heading over to Best Buy, where I believe this one is in stock. Uh, and then the Pro we're going to have to order to have delivered because that one is not at my store. But he's going to check while he's over there. So as soon as it comes in, I'm going to have it up. It's one of my favorite devices, and it's great to see something new uh, in the NVIDIA Shield world. 
I also got in a bunch of new Roku's. Uh, the new Roku Ultra showed up the other day. Uh, we also got the new Roku soundbar and its wireless subwoofer. So we're going to look at that as well because it's definitely shopping season soon and everyone loves to pick these things up for the holidays. I don't think there's much different here with this new Roku Ultra versus the one we looked at before, but we'll take a look and make sure that any new features are covered. So stay tuned for that. And I'm also going to do something on advertiser-supported video on demand. Here's what's been interesting. On these low-cost streaming devices, I often get a lot of questions about what you can do with them for free. People think that there's a monthly fee just for buying the product because they're so inexpensive. And the truth is you can get a lot out of these boxes without having to pay more than the cost of entry. And we're going to focus this on the Roku's because you can get some Roku's for like 30 bucks. And of course, the Amazon Fire Sticks cost about that much as well. And there's actually some pretty good stuff you can get. If you don't mind putting up with advertising, you can find a lot of entertainment for nothing. And we're going to look at some of the top AVOD channels in the course of that video. Uh, Let me know what your favorites are down in the comment section so I can be sure to cover them. I've got a bunch that I think are kind of the staples out there, but I might have missed something. So definitely let me know what you're using down in the comments below. And I'm really looking forward to doing that video for all of you a little later this week. Uh, We're also going to have my monthly Plex video too. I'm still trying to come up with some ideas for that. So please let me know what you got in mind. uh, And we'll include that in the video that we do this week. Uh, Also coming this week, I'm going to be really busy, uh, is the new Fire HD 10 tablet from Amazon. Uh, Amazon is like one of the surviving tablet manufacturers, and they're still selling tablets. I believe they are number two next to the iPad. And this is the new higher-performance 10-inch version, which I was very fond of two years ago. They now say it's 30% faster, so we will put it to the test and see if it is indeed 30% faster. So... Lots to look forward to this week, and hopefully we'll get it all done for you. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution to the channel. We also have the YouTube membership thing going, so you can sign up to uh, subscribe to the channel through YouTube's membership thing, and you'll get a nice little loyalty badge next to your name when you comment on stuff And the color changes the longer you've been a member for, which is pretty cool. So you can check that out. And speaking of Plex, we have our ongoing relationship with them. So if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, we get a small commission. We get a larger commission if you sign up for a Plex Pass or gift it to somebody else. And speaking of AVOD, they will be having their own advertiser-supported streaming platform added to Plex very shortly. And as soon as that happens, we will do a video on that. Uh, So stay tuned. Lots of fun coming there. Uh, We have other channels you can find me on, including my Extras channel, where we do unboxings and supplementary content and reviews. We have my podcast, which is this show in audio format, uh, delivered to your favorite podcatcher, and that link will tell you where to find it. We have the Snippets channel, which takes portions of this show and makes them more search-friendly. And we have my live stream archive at lon.tv slash live streams, where you can see prior live streams that I've done when I've popped up randomly and just done some stuff there. And if you like what I do, click that notification bell so when I do go live, you will be notified and you can tune in wherever you are and watch me fumble around with technology. We have other ways to engage with the channel, including my very infrequent email list, the Facebook page, which has some of that extras channel content and the snippets. 
We have the Facebook group, which is nearing 800 members, a great resource for this show, as you saw uh, earlier in the episode here. And then, of course, we have my store where I sell previously reviewed items that you can pick up at a good price. And you can sign up for a store alert email that goes out every time I add something at lon.tv slash store alert. Uh, because now I've got a new Chromebook, I put my old one up for sale on there, which is the Asus Chromebook Flip. It's a little 10-inch laptop, really nice little Chromebook that is still supported for a little while. Uh, so you can check that out at a good price and let me know if you want to negotiate on anything. You can send me an email to lon at lon.tv and I'll let you know if it's a good price or not. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Thank you all for your continued support of the channel. It is greatly appreciated. I really appreciate the feedback and all the other things you do, including your uh, Patreon subscriptions, your donor box subscriptions, your Super Chats, and your YouTube subscriptions. All of those things help, and I really just enjoy doing this for you each week, and I'm glad you all enjoy it as well. Until next time, this is Lon Seibin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Chris Allegretta, Tom Albrecht, Brian Parker, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.